This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I'd like to welcome Robert Field to Knowledge at Wharton. Robert is a professor of healthcare management at Drexel University, also a law professor, and he is also a lecturer of healthcare management here at Wharton. And we're here to talk today about news that's been out recently about Obamacare, which could cause some to have questions about its viability. And that's because some very high profile insurers have announced that they're withdrawing from the program, or at least largely withdrawing. Uh, I guess the poster child for that would be Aetna. Right. Um, and uh, they're withdrawing, they say, because of sustaining uh, substantial losses. Uh, and so you, we've seen some headlines that suggest that Obamacare is on the ropes, it's on the skids, it's in a death spiral. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that things aren't quite that extreme. So uh, we asked Robert to come in and uh, give us his views on what might really be going on. Right. Well, it seems as though whenever Obamacare gets a cold, the experts say it's pneumonia and it's on its deathbed and, and all is lost. I don't think we're anywhere near that situation right now. Um, do we know five or ten years from now where things will go? Of course not. But for right now, it's still functioning. And a few things we need to remember. Number one, of the 20 million or so people who are now insured who were not before Obamacare, most of those have gained insurance through Medicaid. And the recent announcements of the insurers have nothing to do with Medicaid. And even if the exchanges went away, Obamacare would mean new insurance for millions and millions of people. In terms of the exchanges, volatility in a brand new insurance market like this is to be expected. Obamacare is not unique. This is hardly the first time that we've tried something like this. Uh, Romney did it in Massachusetts in 2006. Bush did it in Medicare in 2003 when he beefed up Medicare Advantage, which is a choice of private plans on a structured market. And he did the same thing with Medicare prescription drugs, where you go to a website and choose a plan and there are government subsidies and it determines what kind of coverage you can get. So we know this kind of mechanism can work. We also know that it takes a few years for the market to even itself out. So this, this is not the death throes of Obamacare. Could we? Uh, could I ask you to give us a brief explanation of what an exchange is, how it works in this case? So then, when we get into details, it'll be more clear. Sure. So if you are an individual who does not get covered through your employer, or you're not old enough for Medicare, you're not poor enough for Medicaid, you go to a website, and every year between November and January, you can select an individual policy in a manner that's similar to Travelocity or Expedia. You see a choice of options, and they have different deductibles and co-pays and premiums and networks, and you decide which one works for and, you. And different companies, presumably. And in most areas, different companies. Areas. In many com areas now, it's only going to be one company. Okay. However, each company has a number of different plans. Okay. So you may not have your choice of companies, but you will still have a choice of different plans. Okay. Uh, and uh, I understand that in some counties, because I think this is done on a county-by-county county basis, yes. uh, that there's a, we're down to one insurer, but you're suggesting that even there you've got a choice of plans. Right. So the, the significance of there being one insurer is you have less market competition, mm -hmm. and it's going to be harder to hold down prices. Mm -hmm. So those people may well pay more. 
but they will still have a choice of different kinds of plans, different deductibles, co-pays, networks of providers, and so forth. I mentioned Aetna, which um, is, I guess, the, the highest profile company right. that's talking about pulling out of most of the exchanges it was involved in, but not all of them. Right. And it was citing some pretty big losses, um, almost a half a billion dollars, right. I believe. Right. Other companies have cited some pretty big numbers right. as losses. And uh, so this is, I guess, the grist for saying that things aren't working so well and, and they may be they may right. be heading in, into a downward spiral. Could you? But that, but then there's this other wrinkle with that. Now, where it was negotiating, right. I should say, it was attempting to merge with Humana, I right. believe it was. Right. And the Justice Department was putting the kibosh on that. Right. And so they somehow, I don't know if threat's the right word, but they right. they suggested that right. if that was not approved, then maybe they weren't going to be so interested in participating, continuing to participate in certain exchanges. So could you explain that? Is that like a kind of form of blackmail or, or, or some might say? Well, I guess you could call it that. You could call it a negotiating strategy if you mm -hmm. wanted to be kinder. Uh, Aetna and Humana have wanted to merge. The bigger insurer would have more market power. The Justice Department has been concerned about that market power and threatened to challenge the merger in court. Mm -hmm. And back in July, Aetna told the Justice Department that if they went through with that, Aetna would, would withdraw from most of the exchanges. So they would say, you're worried about lack of competition. We're going to show you lack of competition. Mm -hmm. We're just going to pull out. So it calls into question whether these losses were really so unsustainable or whether this is a litigation strategy. Right. So, but in fairness, were they saying that, uh, that they were losing money and this merger would allow them to not lose money and therefore if it wasn't approved, they would have to pull out because they were losing money? Or how, how did they actually phrase it. Yeah. They didn't say that they would stop losing money. Okay. Um, they said that they would pull out of the exchanges, or, or they implied that they would. Okay. Um, so it was it was more a, a tit for tat. Right. And the, uh, and the merger deal was not approved, and they did, in fact, pull out. Well, it's it's for the court to decide at this point. Still not. Okay. But they, they pulled out. They did not pull out of every market. Mm -hmm. They stayed in a few, and United, that pulled out of many markets before that, mm -hmm. stayed in a few, which means it preserves their right to come back in at a later date. So it suggests they haven't given mm -hmm. up on the whole law. Of course, they aren't the only big insurers in the market. There are others right, right. who are seem to be doing very well. Thank you. Is that right? Uh, Kaiser, okay. uh, based in California. Uh, Kaiser has, Permanente? Kaiser Permanente has tended to do quite well. Now, their plans are mostly available in California and the West, mm -hmm. uh, but they actually double down on their efforts, and they're going to be expanding their market mm -hmm. presence. Mm -hmm. um, many of the Blue Cross plans around the country have been doing okay. Mm -hmm. um, almost all of them participate. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are some other smaller insurers that have been doing all right. So it's not universal... Uh, deathbed uh, mm -hmm. uh, throughout the country, it tends to be focused on certain companies in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Another point you make uh, in, in your blog, and yeah. I know you've written about these things, is that in general, these insurance companies are doing very well with government programs. Uh, their profit margins are very good on Medicare and Medicaid. Could you just talk about the, the bigger picture of, of insurance and government programs? Sure. So our private insurance industry depends to a large extent on government programs. Uh, under Medicare, about 30% of the beneficiaries get their coverage through a private insurer. And under Medicaid, in every single state, coverage is administered by private companies. And that's a huge profitable line of business for them. So if you take that 
and subtract out the Obamacare losses, they're still doing very well through the government. Um, if we were to link the Medicaid expansion mm -hmm. with the Obamacare exchanges, the insurers would still be coming out ahead on the ACA. Mm -hmm. uh, another point that you make is that some of this, uh, I think you alluded to this at the outset, some of this is actually kind of uh, hiccups for a program that's still mm -hmm. uh, fairly new mm -hmm. and, and finding its feet and that uh, some of the problems that we're seeing will likely work themselves out, A, or B, could be fixed uh, right. without a lot of difficulty if, uh, if certain changes were made, whether they can be made politically or not is, right. a, is a, a separate question. But could you talk about those two things? Yeah. So some of the changes we could make, uh, and this could be done at a state level, is to tell the insurance companies you can play in the Medicaid expansion if you also play in the exchanges. So it might mean you're going to make a little less money in total, mm -hmm. but the Medicaid business is worth it. Mm -hmm. And that way we can make sure that they stayed in the exchanges. Another idea, which depends a lot on the outcome of the presidential election, is to have what's called a public option, mm -hmm. to have a government program that would compete in the exchanges with the private companies. So we know that each area would have at least two plans, the surviving private plan and the government plan. And we could see which works best, but guarantee that there will always be a fundamental choice. And some price competition. And competition as Is it well. fair to say that Medicare has a public option, which is, for a while it was the only option, but now there's, uh, as you say, you can go through private insurance. So that's kind of a mixed system now, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if you think of traditional Medicare, yes. as, as you said, it, it really is a public option, and it is close to what's envisioned for the public option mm -hmm. under the ACA. Um, the private side has been quite profitable, uh, quite popular. Almost a third of beneficiaries mm -hmm. use it. Mm -hmm. um, it's really a model for what the ACA would look like if there were a public option. Uh, and then individuals could choose which way they wanted to go. Uh, and um, just to backtrack a little bit, I believe that you have written that a lot of the losses that we're seeing were anticipated because there's been experience with other programs such as Romney Care, uh, that some of them will um, ameliorate. They will, they, they, they will go away as the system matures, uh, A, or B, as I say, they could, be, they, they could get a fix, they could get a patch. Uh, so I think that's an important point is that this, this wasn't wholly unexpected, what we're seeing. Right, right. There were a few mechanisms in place to mitigate the potential losses from yes. this new market world. Mm -hmm. One of them was risk carters. So companies that did better than expected would put some money back into the kitties. Some of them that did worse would get money out of the kitty. And the funding for that uh, was blocked in Congress. So that mechanism hasn't worked. In fact, uh, there's a lawsuit uh, pending right now by insurance companies to try to get back some of that money. Um, the idea was that it's hard for them to set premiums not having experience. We didn't have a market like this prior to 2014, and it takes a few years in insurance to figure out what's what. Uh, another aspect of this is that the losses for the insurers, they say, are because the risk pool is sicker. More people are getting care than they anticipated. One of the reasons for that is because Obamacare has been successful in other ways. 
they had anticipated when they passed the law that a lot of insurers would drop coverage and they would throw a lot of their employees into the risk pool. Well, fewer employers than expected have dropped coverage. In fact, employers have been adding coverage rather than subtracting it since Obamacare went into effect. So all of these healthy working people are not in the exchanges. And then we have the young people who are staying on their parents' policies who are not in the exchanges. So it's sort of like a balloon. You push down one side and it pops up somewhere else. We succeed on the employer side and the young adult side, but it pops up in terms of a sicker risk pool. Uh, in terms of the overall working of the law, therefore, it doesn't mean it's a failure. It means that we need to get the balloon into shape rather than popping it. And on the young adult side, uh, this is, I guess, the provision that allows children to stay on their parents' policies until right. they're 26, whereas it used to be for those children who went to college that they were covered until college and then went off roughly age 22. So as, the, as that group moves through and becomes 26, I guess that will start to add more healthy people into the pool uh, I, for those that aren't on an employer plan. Right, right. So presumably if those people do go into the risk pool, uh, if they don't have an employer that provides coverage, mm -hmm. yes, it would increase mm -hmm. the, um, the healthy contingent in that risk okay. pool. One other aspect of this, though, is that the law and the administration of it have been very lenient about enforcing the mandate that everyone buy coverage. Okay. And a lot of people have slipped through the cracks, mm -hmm. uh, have preferred to pay the penalty or have not mm -hmm. paid the penalty and haven't been caught. Mm -hmm. So another way to address this is to be more vigilant about making sure that everyone buys in. Mm -hmm. Does that require new laws and new regulations or is it simply enforcing what's on the books? Most of it could be done by enforcing what's on the books. And I think Obama has been trying to tread a line. Uh -huh. If he's too vigilant, there's going to be pushback and more political resistance to the law. But if he doesn't enforce it, then we have the problem that we've got, where healthy people stay out of the risk pool. So at this point, I think if the law is going to thrive, the balance has to be pushed the other way in terms of being tougher on people who choose to remain uninsured. Anything else we should know about this while we have you? In front of us? Um, it seems as though, as, as I was saying, uh, the bad news about Obamacare gets plastered uh, on the headlines. Um, we forget that we now have uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 million people who now have insurance who, who didn't before. Mm -hmm. Now, often those are not great policies, mm -hmm. but it has been a lifesaver for some. Mm -hmm. uh, we have shown that it can be done. And going forward, we have opportunities to fix it. And to this day, we really don't have a replacement plan, a viable replacement plan out there. And until we do, uh, it's either scrap the guarantee of coverage uh, or uh, go ahead as, as, as we have been. Uh, we don't yet have a third option. Um, so we will see the politics of the new Congress and the new president, uh, whether the mindset is to try to fix things or just push over the sandcastle and go back to where we were. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Very much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.